BTS with CTV behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain, which takes us to the most devastating wildfire season in British Columbian history. Thousands more evacuated as wildfires burn across the interior. A provincial state of emergency remains in place. The province has pledged $100 million to help those evacuated. There are at least 218 burning right now. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. Fire is swirling and spinning and causing heat, and you can't have flames coming in from, from all sides. CTV News Vancouver recently won the Regional RTDNA Award for Best Spot News and Best Newscast, as well as an Edward R. Murrow Award for our July 10th coverage. I can see flames in the trees. I'm like, wow, that's close. We gotta get going. CTV's Penny Daflos is live in Boston Flats, where she's had a first-hand look at the devastation. Me doing a handful of roads have opened in this community, and I this house stopped me in my tracks as we were driving past. Look at this. The house is still standing. Everything around it is completely black, and uh, it's not just black. It's uh, when you see the vegetation, you see the detail. It is just turned to complete dust. Tens of thousands of British Columbians were displaced as a record-setting amount of the province was ravaged by flames. Fires are burning all around Williams Lake. It has that city short on some supplies and it has some people on edge. Now, Brianna Karsten Smith is live in that community. You can clearly see how fire has decimated this land. There's spots still smoldering and there's power lines that are down. Within that destruction, our CTV news crews worked long, grueling hours, driving hundreds of kilometers a day to bring the stories of the evacuees and firefighting crews to our viewers. Their bags are packed and their cars are gassed up, ready to go. Officials don't want us to get too close to the homes, and that's because there are still some toxins that are being emitted. Very high winds, high-intensity fire, burning rank 4 and 5. Those flames were moving very quickly across the hillside. This fire burned uh, kilometres in hours. never know where the fire is going to come on the highway, and then we're getting out of there, and you can just see the smoke and wonder if I'm going to have a home left. I'm joined now by reporter Brianna Carson-Smith and videographer Steve Murray. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of BTS. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. For me, this is a really special episode because our experience covering the wildfires is actually what inspired me to do this podcast. So I'm really proud of our work. The awards are great, but it's uh, more a matter of how we feel, I think, having covered that and the challenges that we had uh, so it feels really good to be able to be here talking with you guys because we were the two teams. Uh, Scott Connerton couldn't be here today, but uh, there were basically two crews covering this entire geographic uh, area and all this devastation. Super exhausting, especially for you, Brianna. You guys were up there for how many weeks? I think two weeks with one or two days off in the in the middle. So it, it got to you, and, and it's not just an eight-hour day. You're doing the 16-hour days when you're up there. You're living on granola bars, no sleep, right? And so you're doing hits in the morning show, noon, five, six, and, you know, filing for 11. So they're long days, but it, it's worth it. It's important. And a lot of time in the car. Uh, like, Scott was doing a lot of driving. You guys logged way more kilometers than the rest of us combined, I think. Yeah, we came Vancouver. I remember I filed for the 6 o'clock on the, that Friday night, uh, and then we drove out to Kamloops, 
couldn't stay there because there were no hotel rooms. So we went out to Sun Peaks, which is tiny. Uh, and so we stayed there, went to Hunter Mile House the next day, ended up in Williams Lake. When we were driving back home a week later, all the roads were closed. So we had to basically go to the Alberta-BC border, down to Kamloops to get back. It was like a 14-hour drive to get back to Vancouver from Williams Lake. So a lot of miles. We listened to a lot of music. And that's when it <laughs> is important to get along with your camera guy because you talk about everything. It's, it's a lot of fun, actually. And it's very intense. And before we get into the the day that we won the award for, uh, Steve, when you and I went up, uh, we got a call, I think, one o'clock from our bosses saying, pack your bags, you got to get out of town. And we were on the road uh, early and it was a very nervous uh, drive up there because we didn't know if we'd make it in time for the sixth. And we had to make a little bit of a pit stop on the way. Yeah, we uh, were a little anxious to get out of town because we knew we uh, were fighting the clock and and, uh, we also had to rendezvous with Chopper 9, which had been sent out to shoot the two different fires that were going on. We were going through the, the canyon there, and it's quite a curvy road, and you're trying to do the speed limit, but you're feeling the pressure because you're getting phone calls saying they want to lie for five. And and it's 4, 4.30 at this point. Yeah, and you're, you're nervous. And, and then we're trying to find a location, and they decided there was a little airstrip off the side of the highway, just uh, think uh, north of Boston Bar. So we timed it almost perfectly. We pulled up this gravel road, and there was a big fence, and there's Chopper 9 just cooling its engines down. The the, the blades are still going, and out comes uh, Murray Titus with his his flight his suit helmet and his helmet and on. <laughs> and looking, it, it was like the scene out of a movie, and he, you know, um, all it needed was some slow motion. And he, <laughs> he walked over, and he, he uh, it, I remember it was really, really windy, and he passed me uh, the footage that they had of all the aerials, and lo and behold, I checked my cell signal. There was enough signal to feed that footage in, and I know they were nervously waiting back at the station to see the first pictures, and they wanted to get those on the air. So that was a relief to get them something that they could uh, they could have on, on show and online. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with the technology, Chopper 9's transmitter can only, it only has range within uh, the lower mainland. I think Chilliwack is the outer boundary, maybe not even Chilliwack. So we had to, uh, a DeGiro box, which we've mentioned on a previous podcast. It's like a little suitcase with cellular cards that we can send video back. So that's why it was so critical. We had the, the method to get the video back and Chopper 9 had the footage. And then we were trying to, how close could we get to the fires? Could we see anything? And we ended up, uh, the road was blocked at that point, and we ended up uh, on the outskirts of Spence's Bridge. And it was so hot. I remember, Steve, it felt like every time we opened the door, it was like walking into a blow dryer. It was that hot. And And windy. And And very, very windy. I remember uh, you had a contact within the RCMP that you were communicating with, trying your best uh, and calling the ministry and trying everything you could do to get us into uh, the area uh, that was being evacuated, no go. And we we came up and we we nicely talked to the man at the uh, the roadblock, and he was really nice. But he said, "There's no way you're getting in there." And we were also getting phone calls. We need you live. The bosses they less. They want you live. For and I, and I told my supervisor, "There's nothing I can do. These these Dejeros work on on cellular." And, and so we had to make a decision. And there was, uh, we were at a fork in the road, and we just took off down that fork trying to get closer. And all of a sudden, ping, we got a full good cell signal. I pulled over really quickly, and like a crazy person jumped out, was grabbing all my equipment and, and trying to get it all set up. And I, I yelled, oh, we, we got a signal, we got a signal. And, and you got out, and it was just, I remember, so windy. I gave you that big mic with the big fuzzy, and 
we got through our first hit and we and you're able they're able to run those aerials and then we look over and there's two people that are standing on the side of the wall watching us thinking what are these people doing and they came over and they happened to be we pulled over right at the spot of this historic hotel the inn at Spence's Bridge and it was the innkeepers and they talked to us about how they had been what were they grocery shopping or something and they had to run because the flames had started they'd been in uh, in uh, Cash Creek or Boston Flats I can't remember they had to literally run so they the, so then they started telling us what's going on so we we're can we get a quick interview so we got the interview <laughs> did one more live hit before the end of the show and then this lovely couple um, they were like do you have a place to stay for the night we're like we haven't even thought of that because it's a seven o'clock at this point they, well we have rooms available come stay here and not only did they put us up at the inn at Spence's Bridge they called ahead to the only cafe in town that was still they were closed right at seven and they said get your gear inside we, we're, we've called ahead they're going to stay late for you so that you can have a bite to eat and lucky for us it was like a member of city council was there and all sorts of people so our story for that night we just talked at the people because obviously it was the talk of the town what was going on there was smoke everywhere got no vehicle got no way of doing anything it's the most terrifying feeling you could have this woman's husband is two hours south and road closures have separated them. If she has to run, she'll be forced in the other direction. The big fire started uh, the, the Friday. We were there covering for the weekend, Brianna, and then Monday rolls around and uh, they sent Mijung Lee out to Kamloops. She was live at the evacuation center and for people watching that show, Mijung did not have a teleprompter. That was her memorizing her scripts, reading off a paper script. Uh, we were in the Kamloops area that day, but you guys had already gone north. Where were you that day, Brianna? Right, so we were in Williams Lake at that point. We'd gone up there the night before. And it's funny, I remember when we were going into our hotel, speaking of fun um, accommodations experiences, we there were no hotels available at all. Uh, I was calling all of them while we were shooting our story the day before. Uh, and I went online and booked with the Best Western. We get there and they had no power. There were signs on the door saying, you can't stay here. We have no power. And we said, we have a reservation. We don't care if we have power because our trucks thankfully have inverters so they can supply power um and she said you really don't want to stay here and we said no we really do <laughs> we really do and they were lovely and uh the power came back on eventually and that was good so we woke up in williams lake the next day and they weren't uh if i remember correctly they weren't under evacuation um uh, order yet they were just under an alert and so we were talking to the people about uh you know what it's like to be under that alert so packing your bags getting ready to go and this was one of the safe places at that time so there were people from 150 mile house 100 mile house there was a big uh set up at one of the local churches and they were all registering um with red cross to make sure that their loved ones knew where they were so we spoke with them i remember we went to gas stations there were several that had no more gas left because everyone had been filling up both their cars and then also tank of gas. Uh, we went to a Walmart. They had no produce left. They had no um, milk left. Uh, so we used our cell phones to get video of that. So it was really just, you know, this large city being prepared to get evacuated. We spoke with the mayor. Um, and as we were shooting our story, there was fire all around us. I remember um, being down near Williams Lake itself, near the lake, uh, and Scott was getting some shots. And I was looking behind us, and there were just these orange flames coming down the hill and uh, helicopters bucketing. And I was like, okay, I feel safe. We're not under evacuation order 
But it's still your instinct to say, I should not be here right now. Um, And there's that tension because at the same time, we're supposed to be there so that everybody else knows what's going on. So at what point, like you want to stay as long as possible, but then you're like, is this too long? Exactly. And it's funny. I mean, I, I covered the Fort McMurray fire in Alberta and that one, you knew where the fire was coming from. This one was so different because there were so many fires, right? Uh, so you were at a completely separate fire technically than what I was at, but they were all these fires ravaging uh, BC. And so there were fires on either side of Williams Lake at that point. So you just didn't really know where they were coming from. And the province was updating us, but you just, yeah, it was a lot of unknown and trying to get that information out there. So uh, we actually did our live hit that night in a burnt out part of the forest where it had come through and thankfully hadn't gotten to any homes yet. Uh, But we saw this spectacular show of, I mean, BC is so beautiful because of the forests and you just see this black. Uh, And so we set up and Scott was on the highway and the highways were all closed. That was the other thing. We were the only outside news crew in Williams Lake at this point because we got in the day before, right before the highways closed. So we were set up on the highway. Scott was on the highway and I was probably... 100 yards into the forest, Uh, we needed three large cables to stretch and it was going over this little creek and everything. Uh, But it looked, it just showed what was happening, right? You couldn't have gotten the same shot from the side of the road, you had to be in the forest. So, And again, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I think that's the strength of television. I mean, you can read about these things. Our our radio uh, colleagues in the industry did a fantastic job, but there's just something different about us being there and conveying that to people and us physically being immersed in that. I think that's what's so incredible about that report that you did is that I felt like I was there watching it after and I wasn't even in that part of the fire. We were, we never got into the forest itself. So that was really powerful reporting. Yeah. And, and feeling it too, right? Mm-hmm. When you're there and you are talking to these people uh, and they're so gracious to talk to you and you're, you're so privileged to um, see this devastation and that sounds weird, but it really is a privilege to be able to tell these stories. But the emotion is there and I feel like with television, you can really convey it. You can see the homeowner crying because they're upset and um, scared. And frankly, us reporters feel the same. So you can see um, just how much it touched journalists, just like in your life where you could see exactly the ash that you were standing in. Like you say, it's unmatched. Well, and so speaking of our assignment that day, uh, Steve, you and I started out at the evacuation center uh, talking to evacuees and that I've never seen anything like that personally where emotions were running so high. It was an evacuation center, but they were more like refugees because they didn't know where they were going to sleep that night. They didn't have anything to eat. A lot of them fled with their wallets on their kitchen counters and they had nothing like that. When we were talking to those people, I I, I was just with a lump in my throat like the whole time. Yeah, it's um, when you have a camera and lights and, and your equipment and you're there, people want to come up to you. They want to ask you what you know. They also want you to provide them with information. Um you hear some pretty sad stories. You hear people that were rejected because they weren't in the exact zone, but they couldn't get to their home. You hear all these really sad stories. And then there's people that need medicine or need um, ongoing medical care. And and so luckily through our job, we meet the right people. So we could at least uh, behind the scenes, we can help out and direct them to the right people. I remember saying, we just interviewed somebody. Stay right here. I'll go find her. And I brought her back. And she was a, a nurse at the uh, the the, the 
university that the, the evacuation center was at. And she um, she took them and she found them uh, residents uh, at the nurse's residence that was um, vacated for the summer. So she was able to help them out, and that that made me feel good. Another neat little thing I saw was uh, a lady with um, a dog from uh, I think it was St. John's Ambulance, and she had uh, a beautiful, um, docile looking uh, lab, yellow lab that was just there to. Um, console children and and people and pet the dog and just just to try and um in this tough situation for all of them give them uh, a nice little outlet and and to pet a dog and it was that was kind of neat and we we actually interviewed that woman for the kids it's especially a good distraction because the lineups have been so long and that to me was like one of the most heartwarming things that we did and one of my most enduring memories and and it feels like it was for you as well because you spent so much time getting those shots yeah, I mean, uh, it's quite stressful. I know you and I, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're on the road, we're tired, we're driving long distances. And, and, and uh, you know, I think at one point I said, you're not communicating with me. And, and you're there like, some but fireworks, there were yeah. some fireworks. We got a little, we got a little testy. <laughs> but I did tell my uh, colleagues uh, and my supervisor that you were doing an amazing job. And I know you felt the immense pressure. And, you know, we have to say we, we were competing against other outlets that had multiple crews in the field. And we were one unit, just like Scotty and Brianna were. And you wouldn't know it when you watch the newscast because we were everywhere. And we, we went toe-to-toe in it. And we have something to be proud of. And 14-hour days, days yeah. you know, a lot of time on the road. And one thing that I think other parts of the country had trouble understanding with this and, and that maybe we did an okay job explaining it, maybe we didn't. It was multiple fires over a huge geographic area, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. So I remember, uh, you know, doing a live hit for Toronto for News Channel, and they were like, how were the lessons learned at the Fort McMurray fire applied here? And I said, well, it's a completely, that was one fire sweeping through. This was a patchwork of, there were hundreds of fires burning in the province at this point. And where we were, uh, our two crews, there were dozens and dozens and multiple communities and road closures and trying to figure out, is a cell tower still standing where we think the road is open? And can we make a report there? So the day that we won the award was a particularly interesting day because um, we had heard that our competitors had uh, the first access to Boston Flats and they had a vantage point where they could show the destruction and really convey to people what was going on because there were so many uh, mobile homes destroyed. And Steve and I were like, what are we going to do? Because we'd gathered enough for a full story. And this is, by the way, in a context of smokiness, waking up every morning with a sore throat and just like that prevalent smoke. And we were like, what are we going to do? We're going to get beat on this story today after we worked so hard. So I called around to a couple of people and there was a um, RCMP officer who was sympathetic because... uh, we were not getting a lot of information from Wildfire Branch. Uh, we heard that again and again from evacuees, from other journalists, from people in the area. And he said, oh, well, you guys are in luck. There's this you know, one access point that you can get to Boston Flats. You should be able to see everything you need. But you're going to have to take a service access road. It's going to take you like an hour and a half. And I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, Steve, are we going to make it? What are we going to do? And so Steve put it in four-wheel drive and off we went. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to mention is uh, one of the pressures uh, that I felt was that there's rules and regulations and you're not supposed to go into a fire zone. And uh, we played by the rules and we didn't want to burn our contacts that were giving us information. And as you see with this award, we played by the rules. We were the first crews to get in there and go live by playing by the rules. And I remember that that road we drove, it was bumpy. I was swerving in and out. I think there might have been some cattle on the road at one point. And 
you know, you're in and out of cell coverage and wherever we got a bit of cell signal, we would pull over and feed some footage in. And then um, you're looking at the clock and you're thinking, can we make it? Can we make it? And when we pulled in there, uh, it was such a relief. All that hard work paid off that day. And it was a good feeling when we rolled in and we thought, okay, we're going to be able to make it. But it was also... I felt like I'd been punched in the gut because we saw these blackened hills everywhere. There were um, areas still smoking. There were helicopters bucketing and we're slowly and the barricades are down. So we're allowed to go in. And this is like 515 at this point, And we're trying to figure out where are we going to do our live report? And I, I looked to our right and I saw a house standing on a hill. I'm like, what are the odds? And then so I'm like, Steve, pull over, pull over. This is where we're going to go. And we had a good look at, the, at, a, at this house concrete metal clad that's why it was standing on this hill everything else around it was black it was like a moonscape it was the eeriest thing we so we're unpacking and steve's frantically uncoiling cables at 5:20. we managed to do our 5:30 report and um there were burnt out shrubs and trees there and i snapped off a piece just to show like it was black and my hands were all sooty and it was just such a powerful moment for us to be able to convey to people what was going on. And we were so lucky to be on the ground there to be able to show them what was happening. And by the way, it turns out competition didn't have the shot. They couldn't get close. So we'd stressed out for nothing. But it was all, you know, in the end, it was it was worth it because we were able to, you know, do this amazing reporting. Williams Lake EFC, yeah. so. At the Emergency Operations Centre, volunteers are collecting names of people who would need rides out of the city, and nearby, RCMP officers have stockpiled gas and are prepared to help more than 10,000 people move. They'll be going there, giving people clear instructions. This is what we need you to do. Uh, we need you to leave soon. Here's why, and so on and so forth. For these residents, the process of preparing is stressful. The idea of leaving, difficult. I said I'm staying there right until they close the doors and then I'll think about leaving. So this ended up being a marathon. Uh, Steve and I did a five-day tour up there and then they brought us back. We were exhausted. I could barely talk after my voice was so scratchy. But Brianna, uh, you and Scott ended up, because you were on the other side of the fire line, A, it was hard for you to get home, but it was also we needed you there because there was so much happening. And that was the thing. It's a it's a balance between how long do they keep us up there, A, in terms of money, because these are expensive, expensive road trips for CTV and Bell, uh, and be how long for our mental health? Because as I say, it's long days, uh, and you need to get home. You need to see your family. You're, you're right. The soot in your lungs does not feel good, so you need a break from that. So we went home, I believe, on that that Thursday or Friday from Williams Lake with that very long drive home, um, and the the following week the that weekend we were back up. I went actually up with Gary Barnt uh, the next time, and and we were sort of doing okay. The situation's improving, but it's not over. So there's still fire raging. There's still cleanup. So I remember we went to Cash Creek, which had been obviously hit so hard, and people started coming home. And for me, those reentry stories are my favorite. It's when we, we actually went in, we lined up on the highway with everyone uh, who was going back, and we drove in with everyone. And I said, Garrett, let's just follow someone. It sounds really creepy, but we just follow this lovely couple home uh, with their van and we pop out and we say, we know you're about to go in, but can we come in with you? And they were so lovely and they said, we don't know what's in there, but okay. And they'd been getting all these warnings of everything might be covered in ash. It might stink. You don't know who was in your home, you, even firefighters. Because like, there had been some looting as well. Had, there had been looting. Uh, and sometimes firefighters need to go in or, you know, the SPCA or whatever is going to check on pets. So you never know. So they had been getting all these warnings. So they open the door and they walk in 
And it was just like a breath of relief. It smelled like smoke. There was um, the orange fire retardant everywhere in Cache Creek, uh, on houses, on fences. But it was just, it was standing, you know? And there were photos on the walls that they really, you know, regretted not taking. There were documents that they regretted not taking, but they were all in their place. And that's a feeling, you know, hundreds of people didn't get. And that's awful. But when you get to show the good news stories, it's so rewarding. And they were so lovely to let this camera crew, right, into their home during that moment. I know you probably feel the same. I want to go back this summer and say, you know, how's it going? You know, where's this rebuilding at? How are we doing? Because I think it's important to share that. Thank you so much for being on BTS with CTV this week. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to thank Dylan Baker for his support with Archival Audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me at bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphos.